0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Thomas Jefferson once said, In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. I'm Rick, and this is Not Your Typical Christian Commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades.
2: This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well,
2: Rick, our question is, are we supporting the right world leaders? And our theme text is found in Mark, chapter 12, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's.
1: And they were all amazed. Okay. Are we supporting the right world leader? So coming up in today's—well, actually, before coming up in today's podcast— coming up in today's podcast is Julie. Hey, Julie, how are you?
3: Hi, gentlemen. <laughs> So here in the United States, we have presidential elections around every four years and a lot of state and local elections in between. Many of our listeners around the world have a right to vote in their respective elections, but it's obvious that this worldwide venom between opposing sides is getting more corrosive and personally damaging. So here we want to take a step back and make sure that we aren't becoming caught up in the contentiousness. This program is a reminder about how to act before and especially after an election.
1: All right. Now, coming up in today's podcast, shouldn't our Christian political views be about right and wrong and not right and left? Find out how to navigate this tricky terrain in about 15 minutes. Look, we know corruption is rampant in the political world. So how do we as Christians navigate through this while we attempt to stand for what we might think is right? This is coming up in about 30 minutes. And then finally, who would Jesus vote for? Well, we'll talk about that in about 45 minutes. Meanwhile, politics. It's a word that represents a world of power, prestige, and problems. It's a word that conjures up anger, division, and disrespect. It's a word that often gives us a sense of retreat and uncomfortable acceptance. Sometimes I think we forget that the ideal perspective of political power is to serve the needs of the people. With the utter lack of tolerance we seem to have embraced in dealing with political and social issues, what role should a Christian play? Are we supposed to pick the side we think is most just and righteous? Are we obliged to stand for principles? If so, what principles? And what about the need for compromise? Would that change anything? What would Jesus and the apostles do if they lived in our time What should we do to best stand for our beliefs and discipleship?
2: This is not a conversation
1: about politics. It is a conversation
2: about being a faithful Christian.
1: Now look, it sounds like a conversation about politics, but it is not. And we want to be abundantly clear we don't do politics at Christian Questions. We simply don't. So to set the groundwork, Jonathan, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty,
2: only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve
1: one another. Okay, so we're talking about Christian liberty and talking about the ability to make choices on our own as Christians. Now, we have lots of principles. Romans chapter 14 gives us principles, and it gives us a sense that sometimes you see things one way, I see things a different way, and in Romans 14 it says, look, to each man they must follow their own conscience. They stand before God, before God will make them stand. Yay, God is able to make them stand in whatever it is. Having said that, I want to be abundantly clear that Romans 14 is not about basic things such as morality. I can't bring my own morality to Christianity and say, well, this is the way I think. No, 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 no. Romans 14 is about things where we have the liberty, leadway. Things like morality and basic Christian integrity, there is no leadway. Just let's understand that.
2: And Rick, uh, going back to the Galatians 5.13, it makes me think that we need to have respect and honor others' consciences, even if we disagree. You know, it says to be
1: selfless, love, serve one another. Yeah, yeah, it really is very important.
3: And, you know, know, Rick, you brought up that Romans 14. We're not going to have the time to go through that, so... Homework, homework (laughs) assignment for all of our listeners. Please take a look, go ahead and read it from an easy to read translation, the principles of Christian liberty, because that will kind of guide the overall thinking of this program.
1: So, again, this is not about politics. So, let's get into the scriptures that help us understand what our role should be. And look, there are different Christian perspectives on these things. And we want to discuss the principles and give you the ability to to review the scriptures and make your decisions according to your conscience. The New Testament speaks about our social and political responsibilities in some detail. There are several scriptures. We're going to focus on one group. That's Romans chapter 13. We're actually going to focus on Romans 13, 1 through 7. Right now, let's do Romans 13, 1 and 2.
2: Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they have opposed, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves.
3: So, uh, Jonathan, you said those which exist are established by God. What does that mean? All of our governments are established by God.
1: See, now that, that's a good question. And let let's hold that question. Did God establish our governments? Uh, we need to deal with that question, but just a little bit later in this in this segment because okay. we need to put it in a better perspective. But so we'll we'll come back to that. Okay. So what what does it mean to not resist authority? Uh, what doesn't it mean to not resist authority? This is this is actually very important.
3: That is the Hebrew word uh, that means to range oneself against or oppose. And the lexicon says to range in battle against. Now, I'd never heard of ranging in battle, so I looked it up. Range is an old military term used for placing soldiers in a specific platoon with a specific function to attack or resist. It's an organized resistance. It can also mean to oppose or disagree intensely. So there are things we're supposed to range against, like James 4.6
2: but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed, and that word opposed is the same word for range oneself, to the proud, but gives grace to the humble.
1: Okay, so there are things that we are supposed to range against. You know, the idea of gathering the troops and strategically placing them, what the Apostle is saying is we should not range against authority. We should not organize ourselves against authority. That's an interesting perspective. There's another kind of resistance, though, that we really should be involved in, and that's in James 4. Interestingly, the very next verse, James 4 7.
2: Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from
1: you. And Jonathan, that word for resist means what there?
2: It means to stand against, that is, oppose.
1: Okay, so the idea is to be able to withstand it, but not to gather the troops against. We don't fight against Satan. We withstand him. God does the fighting for us. That's why we wear the armor of God. Take care to stand for righteousness without joining with others who press for righteousness. Do you see the difference? Take care to stand for righteousness uh, without joining a press, a social or political press. So, look, however we interpret interpret our stand— when it comes to our secular world now again some of us are very as christians are very much in favor of being involved and some of us are very much in favor of not being involved however we interpret that stand one thing is sure we must always keep jesus teachings and example first in the sermon on the mount jesus shows us how to become his true followers we're all familiar with the beatitudes they point to becoming peacemakers So the first question here is, what's the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping? Julie?
3: Well, we've heard the expression, I just want some peace and quiet. Yes. Well, a peacemaker wants and works for peace, real peace, and a peacekeeper wants and works for quiet. Peacekeepers avoid conflict, but the issue is never really settled. And in most cases, we're supposed to be peacemakers, but we settle for being peacekeepers
1: peacemaking is much harder than peacekeeping, make no mistake. And it's interesting that the seventh level of the Beatitudes is being a peacemaker, which means, as Christians, we've got work cut out for us.
2: So for more explanation on this topic, Peacemakers, see episode 1025, Should We Be Peacemakers?
1: You can find that at christianquestions.com. Okay. Here's how Christian peacemaking works in relation to our present political and social pressures. So Jonathan, what about being a Christian in relation to peacemaking?
2: To be a Christian is to understand where our absolute life and death loyalty belongs.
1: Where does my loyalty belong? Not where is it, because those may be two different questions. Where does it belong? We're going to look at the Beatitudes as rungs on a ladder, if you will. So Julie, what's this first rung?
3: It's humility. That's successful peacemaking. You need humility to start with.
1: Okay, Matthew chapter 5, this is where the Beatitudes are, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, poor in spirit, humility. Humility in relation to peacemaking. We can't be elevated to a position of influence without it. As a Christian, humility is the first and most important attitude of our lives. And if we're going to deal with and be able to process the political rage in our world, we need, first and foremost, humility. And that might sound surprising, but that is absolutely where we need to begin. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love
2: be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted
1: to one another in brotherly love.
2: Give preference to one another in honor.
1: Okay, that sense of love being without hypocrisy means love is humble, Humility is the basis for anything godly to have a chance to grow. Just ask Jesus. Just ask Satan. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> You've got the two sides of the story, right? Yes, Jesus. And you see humility as he did everything the Father would have him to do. And you see Satan who completely crushed humility and did everything he wanted to do as he wanted to be like the Most High. Jesus had very specific perspectives on secular matters. And we're going to deal with secular, his perspective on secular matters in each segment. So, Jonathan, for this segment, let's go to uh, John 18, verses 36 and 37. This is Jesus before Pilate, before his crucifixion. Jesus
2: answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this
1: I have come into the world to testify to the truth. See, this is interesting. Jesus says, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And Pilate's answer, Well, you're a king. Yes, I am, but not of this world. Jesus knows the objective of God's plan. The what is to replace... The kingdoms of this earth I'm sure, absolutely sure, Jesus understood, knew, and perhaps was thinking about Daniel 2:44, the prophecy in Daniel: 244, when he's having this conversation with Pilate.: "In the days of those
2: kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever." Okay,
1: so, Julie, go ahead.
3: It's important. Did you notice what's happening here, though? The current governments that are run by Satan, they're going to be destroyed, not renovated, but destroyed and recreated from the ground up. John twelve thirty one talks about the ruler of this world will be cast out. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is called the god of this world who's blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Some people believe if only the right people could come into power— we could govern ourselves and get better and better, but greed and arrogance are going to make sure that that never happens.
1: So now let me, let me touch on your question from before, because you asked, okay, you know, in the Romans uh, 13, verse 1, you know, uh, no authority is in place except from God, uh, and those which exist are established by God. Now, we have what sound like very contradictory statements. Well, these are the kingdoms of this world are Satan's, but God establishes the authority. Does that mean God and Satan are working together? No, 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 no. Okay? God allows, God permits the authorities to be put in place, and the authorities that are allowed to be in place will ultimately carry out his plan. Now, they don't know they're carrying out his plan. They don't necessarily want to carry out his plan, but God's plan is bigger than anything we can imagine. He does not interfere with our free moral agency— but he does allow leaders to be in place to accomplish certain things at certain times. The point is, the kingdom of God, according to Daniel's prophecy, will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will endure. So it's not renovating, it is destroying. So we've got Jesus' perspective on secular matters here. Let's go to the second rung of the Beatitudes.
3: That's the willingness and ability to feel hurt— We would call that having a heart.
1: Matthew 5.4 Blessed
2: are those who mourn,
1: for they shall be comforted. Mourning in relation to peacemaking, feel the pain of your own loss or of the losses of others. And let's look at Romans 12.15 Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So when we're dealing with social and political issues and pressures, have that ability to mourn with those on both sides because you can feel their pain. Mourning is good when we experience and observe loss. Knowing that the pain of loss is acceptable and knowing we are promised comfort puts the whole experience in a godly perspective.
3: You know, to those who are politically opposed to our way of thinking, we run the risk of wanting them to fail because our way is better. And we might be bad-mouthing them or delegitimizing them and we have to remember uh, Romans 14.10, why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? Because remember, we talked about homework, Romans 14. That's one of those scriptures. This is no way to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep is, you know, kind of dancing on their grave, being happy that their side lost and yeah. your side won.
1: We we have to overcome that, folks. This uh, we, we cannot be there. So, Christian principles, and worldly politics. How do we manage that? Jonathan, what are we looking at here?
2: Humility and having a heart help us realize that our place is in support of Christ's kingdom, while feeling the infirmities of a world that struggles to find direction as they clamor for their preferential human leadership. Stand in compassion above the fray.
1: Stand above the fray. It's as simple as that. You know, it sounds like being the best Christian we are capable of being, is the basis for our being good citizens. Are we supposed to depend on our
2: governments to be just and righteous? What if they're not?
0: it's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com in addition to always continuing the conversation on our website in social media and our YouTube channel learn more about becoming a Christian questions ambassador there's several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on support CQ in the top navigation menu join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more now back to Rick and Jonathan.
1: Okay, Jonathan, this is a hard question. To even think about worldly organizations and governments upholding godly principles, look, it's often a waste of time. The Apostle Paul walks us through the appropriate balance. Remember, Paul himself did not politically challenge the slavery of his day. He instead instructed us on how to be examples within it. He didn't seek to change it, but he's taught us how to stand as high as we can within the context of the things we're dealing with. Important principle. So, Paul continues to instruct us on our social and political responsibilities. We started with Romans chapter 13. We looked at verses 1 and 2. Let's now go to verses 3 and 4.
2: For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will praise for the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about how Jesus um, acted and what he taught us through this. You know, he never organized his followers to subvert Roman rule because God allowed that authority of Rome. And they never interfered with earthly rulers, Jesus and the apostles. They taught us to obey laws, respect the office of authority, pay our taxes, and except where they conflict with God's laws, offer no resistance to any established law. So with that in mind, I go back to that Romans 14 where we have this Christian liberty where we've got leeway where if we see these principles one way, we have the leeway to do that. We have the freedom to do that. And if we see them another way, we have the freedom to do that as well.
1: Okay, so do what's good in the context of imperfect government. Work with diligence, be kind, be respectful, be a good person. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Again, we want to focus on being a peacemaker. And Julia, again, what about being a peacemaker?
3: Well, remember, a peacemaker wants and works for peace, and a peacekeeper wants and works for really only just quiet.
1: Big difference between the two. Choose which way you're going to go. Jonathan, what about our Christianity here? Well, to be a Christian is to be aware of how we must act, because of our allegiance. Who is my allegiance to? Everything else has to come under our allegiance to God through Christ. Everything else. So we're going to be going to a series of sound bites uh, throughout the podcast. Julie, why don't you just get us started for the first one here?
3: Uh, so these are all be part of a program called Frontline, and that's an investigative journalism program that produces documentaries on the public broadcasting system. That's PBS here in the United States. This was an interview with a man named Frank Luntz. He's a political strategist and someone who takes polls of people to get their political opinions. In speaking of what makes great nations fall, He said there's always something that's been introduced into that system that undermines and eventually destroys that system. And here's what he said about it.
4: If you study history, it's like it's a disease that comes in and there's no cure for it. For us, that disease is social media because it actually rewards not just negativity, but there's no differentiation between fact and fiction. There's no differentiation between those who know what they're saying and those who are just making it up. And because it is instantaneous, you can't fix it when you're wrong. And so we now live by the latest tweet. The politicians create the poison. But social media is the system by which it is delivered. And make no mistake, it is in all of us now. And it's destroying, it's wrecking us. It really is.
1: That is a very sober warning. And you know, we've talked many, many times about social media and and the traps. And look, when you're dealing with matters like politics and social issues and elections and preferences and and the rights of people, it gets even worse. We got to be careful to make sure we're looking at factual representations instead of opinions. And um, folks, unfortunately, we thrive on opinion and passion not on facts. And that is a big mistake. So let's get back to building our Christianity to stand against this. What's the third rung in terms of the Beatitudes, Julie?
3: It's commanding a gentle, meek spirit in our daily experiences.
1: Okay, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, blessed are the gentle. So when we look at this, gentleness is built on humility and heart, the first two. These two elements, the first two, open our responses to be measured. A measured response is generally a gentle response. So when we look at gentleness in relation to peacemaking, to be gentle is to be understanding. This means listening. Romans 12, Jonathan, the first part of verse 16.
2: Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty at mind, but associate
1: with the lowly. Think about this. Think about the idea of gentleness in relation to these things and being a Christian. And think about a brain surgeon. A brain surgeon is bold in their profession as a surgeon. I mean, you think about operating on somebody's brain. There is an incredible boldness there. But when it comes down to the actual surgery, there is an amazing overriding gentleness that gets the job done.
3: I don't think I'd call American politics gentle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, and that's a big problem here.
2: Yeah, well, we need to take a sila moment, which means we need to pause and consider what we stand for so we don't get caught up
1: in the emotion or the political frenzy. You know, you're right. In, in, in the Psalms, you've got that sila, pause and consider. Folks, as Christians, wherever you stand in relation to voting or not voting or what political party or this or that or the other thing, take the sila moment realize your allegiance, stand for the highest, highest thing, and then respond. Don't react. Just respond as a Christian should. Christian principles and worldly politics. Jonathan, what do we have here?
2: We may be in the right, but without a gentleness of spirit and approach, what kind of example would we be? Gentleness provokes peacemaking.
1: You understand that peacemaking is hard gentleness actually pushes the peacemaking agenda forward because it's awfully hard to argue and to kick back against gentleness. Julie, go ahead.
3: We can also be right, but if we're presenting ourselves totally wrong, that whole point is going to be lost.
1: Right, right. And so the humility, the, the, the mourning, the having heart, and the gentleness are part of being right and then being right in the right way. Those are, those, are, those are important points. So let's look at Jesus' own perspective on secular matters. Now, we touched on what he said to Pilate before, My kingdom is not of this world, else my followers would fight. Totally different perspective here, not perspective, rather, but totally different context is what I meant to say. Matthew 6, 9-10, this is the Lord's Prayer.
2: Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
3: You know, Satan is the god of this world, but only under the control and allowance of God, winning and losing an election is within that overriding providence that allows us to find the good in it for us. But how does that help us not be so disappointed or angry or worse when our preferred candidate doesn't win?
1: You know, it's important to realize that if you believe in God's providence, here's an idea. If you believe in God's providence— Believe in his providence. Don't let it be lip service. Oh, God's providence is going to take care of everything. And then be all bent out of shape when it doesn't happen the way you want it to. No, 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 no. We have to live our professions. And when we profess God's providence is overall, we need to be able to cling to that, whether things work out politically, socially, the way we'd like them to, or not. So, folks, Stand down from your own emotions, please. This is not a Christian way to respond when we get emotional. It's interesting, Jesus was all about the kingdom. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud
2: voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever.
1: And that is where Jesus' message and focus and works and teachings and miracles all pointed to, that kingdom. Jesus knew his mission was to save mankind. He taught his followers to look forward to the future kingdom, but until it arrives, to live by its principles, the kingdom principles in this sinful world. God provides... uh, the, the the wrath you don't have to you don't have to contribute God is going to take care of that He's going to put that all in 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 um, in, in perspective First uh, 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 Corinthians five verses eighteen to twenty
2: now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be
1: reconciled to God. So there's two big, big points here, okay? Being an ambassador for Christ makes, first of all, makes gentleness easy to administer, because an ambassador is a representative of, it's not about my agenda, I'm just representing my, my author, the authority that I'm, that I'm in place of, that I'm speaking for. So the two big points are the ministry of reconciliation. We should have a reconciling attitude and spirit. And secondly, being an ambassador, being that representative of God through Christ of his kingdom.
3: So let me ask you an important question that I know everyone wants to know. Should Christians take part in the political process and vote? Are we supposed to be voting? And I've heard points on both sides. I've been interviewing some friends and family lately, and I've got four pros, four cons. I'd like to share them with you and see what you think.
1: All right. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Here are the pros. Number one, I am a citizen, a taxpayer. It's my responsibility to give input. I don't want to be involved in the system, but I can express my point of view as a taxpayer.
1: Awesome point of view. I have nothing that I can say to, to argue with that. That is a, a an awesome point of view, and I'll, I'll leave that point just there.
3: Okay. Number two, we vote for candidates who overturn moral wrongs. We are to reverse the corroding effects of sin wherever we can.
1: Okay. Um, I would take a little bit more of an issue with that one simply because— you, our, our, our the rights and wrongs are that we're supposed to be focusing on are from a godly perspective, not through a government perspective. However, when someone says that and says, look, I believe in this, I'm not going to tell them you're wrong. I'm not going to tell them, well, don't think that way. I have no right to. If your conscience is there, goodness sakes, follow it.
3: Okay. Christians as a whole can make up a powerful voting block to get in candidates who protect our rights, such as allowing us to worship.
1: Okay, so now you're talking about a voting block. and my, my gut reaction to that would be, so we're going to put on political gloves to fight the good fight of faith. In my mind, this is Rick speaking, that does not balance. It seems to me that the uh, Jesus kingdom was not of this world. We need to be careful of, of raging against something, ranging against something. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Just be, be yeah. careful of those things.
3: All right. The last one would be um, while our citizenship is in heaven and we're ambassadors, our families still have to live on Earth now and for the foreseeable future. So let's make it better.
1: Awesome point. It is an awesome point. That's an excellent, excellent point. Good. It's a good point. Okay.
3: I've got four cons. These are reasons why perhaps Christians would want not to vote. Number one, it's a waste of time and energy trying to fix the world now because it's in the process, as we've said, of being torn down and replaced. Only God is the solution to the world's problems.
1: Well, that, you know, you're right about that. God only, it is only God is the solution to the problems. But let us also not say, look, it's a waste of time to, to try to fix things. We have to be good examples of fixing things and be on the right side of fixing things. So I take that kind of half and half.
3: We can't just wait for it to just right. happen. We've right. got to do something in our sphere of influence. Number two, taking the time to cast an informed vote requires much study and time devoted to something that's not godly and our time is better spent elsewhere.
1: Um, most of us, (laughs) Rick opinion coming in here. Okay. Most of us take enough time to kind of get a sense of what's going on. And if we could take enough time to get a sense of what's going on, we could use that same time to do the research. So I wouldn't say, well, it's going to take too much time. I think we probably already spend enough time. We just maybe need to Invest our time rather than just spend it. So, yeah, I don't know if that's really in my mind. And and folks, I'm just giving you opinions here. Okay. Right, right. All
3: right. So, here's a third reason why I've heard people, Christians, do not vote. Jesus told us his kingdom is not of this world and we aren't of this world, meaning this present evil order of things. Romans 12 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, meaning don't be entangled by the things of this world. Therefore, we should remain neutral but not complain if things don't go the way we want it to.
1: Awesome point. Thoroughly awesome point. Okay. And so, really, there are thoroughly, I think, wonderful points on both sides of the issue, and there's some points that I, yeah, I don't know. And All right, so, I got
3: one, one last one. Oh, okay. All elections will be choosing the lesser of two evils, which is still choosing evil.
1: Okay, I can see that. Uh, you know, I <laughs> the, folks, what this is showing us is that We see things through the eyes of what we see as most important as Christians. We're not here to tell you no or yes on your conviction. What we are here to do is to remind you as we remind ourselves, make sure your conviction is on godly principles based on sacrificing your life and your will to doing that which Jesus would have you to do as you walk in his footsteps. Okay? So... Points on both sides, we're going to leave it at that. We're not here to tell you yes or no. You need to make that choice.
3: Let your conscience be your guide.
1: Let your spiritual conscience be your guide. Your spiritual conscience be your guide. Let's go to the fourth rung of successful peacemaking. Julie, what is it?
3: An insatiable appetite for godliness and righteousness.
1: And Jonathan Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied hunger and thirst for righteousness once we are humble and we have a heart and gentleness has begun to gel we are now in a wide open position to not only uh, to be not only fed but nourished and satisfied by godly righteousness and folks here's where we can get off track really easily because we can be feeling nourished and fed by feeding into the political rhetoric that's not where we belong we belong on that godly righteousness level. Hungry and thirsting for righteousness in relation to be our, our becoming peacemakers look to have a fundamental instinctive desire for godly righteousness will keep us stable in the midst of a lot of instability and emotionalism and the the, the throwing around of opinions rather than facts so uh, Jonathan let's go to Romans 12 uh, the latter part of verse 16. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Okay. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Resist the pride of our own minds as we relate to others opens up the possibilities for actually being a peacemaker. What's our Christian principles uh, uh, in relation to worldly politics here? For a Christian— peacemaking is
2: only possible in our social and political world when we have our minds thoroughly set
1: upon those things which are above. So it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion about these other matters, but it means that opinion has to be filtered through the higher thinking of our spirituality. Our influence on the world around us is not sound unless we're putting God's word above all else. When we see
2: corruption and hypocrisy in government, Shouldn't we call it out and stand against
0: it? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact single page of thought provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to christianquestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick?
1: You know, it's always appropriate to stand against any unrighteousness. So what does that look like? Because we're ambassadors for Christ in this world, we are in the world, but not of it. This means that we realize the problems of corruption and injustice are not fixable here and now, but will be corrected by God later.
3: You know, as we discussed with the subject of voting, John 17, 14 to 16 talks about Jesus and his followers being in the world, but not of the world. It's a little bit like being in water without getting wet. Uh, But, you know, if we're telling people, and I know you're saying using the Christian liberty to decide, but for those who don't vote, do is an argument that we want the benefits of a democracy without taking the time to participate in it and have someone else secure our freedoms or overthrow a dangerous dictator while we stay at home in our warm bed waiting for God's future kingdom.
1: Yeah, and so you say, well, how can you do that? And I guess that's right, what you're saying. Right. Okay. What
3: if people are saying that to us?
1: Well, and, and you know, that, that's an important question. And, and my, my gut response to that without getting into a lot of depth on that, because these are, these are a lot of de- very debatable questions. But what I would say is okay, um, everybody has roles in a society. For instance, if you are a typical person who likes to eat and maybe you like hamburgers, does that mean that you're going to go work at the slaughterhouse? So you can eat hamburgers. And the answer for 999 out of 1,000 of us is going to be, oh, no, 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 no. So we're willing to let others do certain things so we can enjoy the benefits. That's the way society works. And if you are in that position, you want to be able to say, yes, I'm going to be supportive of but not participating in those things. And I think there's there's validity to that. So a, a lot going on here. Okay, let's continue. Let's go back to Romans 13, 5. Paul is continuing to instruct us on our social and political responsibilities in the book of Romans. We're up to verse 5 in Romans 13.
2: Therefore, it is necessary to be in
1: subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. See, for conscience' sake. This is important. This is a key point. Even though those in power likely have little or no respect for God and his plan— being a righteous person within this unholy environment is a powerful indicator of our allegiance. So our righteousness toward God can be a great indicator of our allegiance to God in these difficult circumstances in dealing with politics and social issues and so forth. What about, though, the idea of peacemaking and peacekeeping? Julie, just one another reminder.
3: Uh, peace and quiet. Remember, a peacemaker wants and works for peace— a peacekeeper wants and works for only quiet.
1: Okay, and Jonathan, what about our Christianity relating, relating to this?
2: Well, to be a Christian is to know why we're attentive to our world, but ultimately
1: not loyal to it. We're attentive to it, but our loyalty is higher. Let's get back to America's Great Divide with Frank Luntz, talking about some of the issues in today's world. Very, very profound understanding here. Listen.
4: I know what the future is. And if if we do not change this course right now, our children will grow up in an environment where there is no compromise, where there is no cooperation. Our children are being taught to be judgmental at a time when we should be more open than we've ever been. They're taught that their opponents are stupid or destructive or even worse. Our kids are taught to bully. Our kids are taught to ignore It's not just how adults treat each other. Our children are watching. Our kids are watching.
3: And what's even more important, God is watching. And when we find ourselves getting upset over election results, we need to do better.
1: We do. We really, truly do. We're supposed to be standing above the fray. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Let us live up to what is expected of us by God through Christ. What's the fifth rung Uh, of the Beatitudes relating to our conversation, Julie.
3: It's a character that knows and embraces mercy.
1: Okay, mercy. Uh, Jonathan, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Once we're humble, we have a heart and are gentle in spirit and have been feeding on and drinking in righteousness. How can we help? but desire to be merciful as Jesus was. See, mercy is such a powerful thing. And in the political process in our world, Mr. Luntz just said it in that last soundbite, we've lost that. Folks, as a Christian, whatever side of whatever issue, uh, whether you vote or not, whether you're on right or left, does not matter. Where's your mercy? Are you living it? Are you showing it? Whether the results are what you want Or not what you want. Mercy in relation to our becoming peacemakers. To be merciful is to give leeway. Regarding people's opinions and platforms. It's assuming they're searching for the right thing. Now that's a big assumption. You can say, well I'm sure they're not. Really? So when's the last time you read their heart? And tell me exactly what their heart said that you know. See we have to be so careful. Well I know. No you don't. No you don't. Please. Let's rise above all of the judgmental stuff, and be Christian in dealing with these difficult things. Romans twelve seventeen, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Couldn't say it better than that, that's for sure. If we don't get our own way regarding any evening of the score, thinking and feelings, we leave no room for peace.
2: I have an article from USA Today, October 26 in Hayes City, Florida, a 26 year old man has been accused of stealing a bulldozer from a Florida construction site, driving it into a neighborhood, knocking down campaign signs for Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, according to authorities and homeowners. Oh, how, how sad.
1: How, folks, really? I mean, look, and you know, that's one article about one thing, and you can find all kinds of articles on all kinds of sides that show people doing things that are just foolish. Are we Christian? Are we thinking, yeah, let's go do that?
3: Don't steal the bulldozer.
1: Shame on us if that's where we're going. How are we insulting the name of Christ? I mean, really, let's think about that. Christian principles and worldly politics, Jonathan, what do we have? We
2: cannot be like Jesus unless we are merciful, and we therefore cannot bridge any gaps between us without this Christ-like attribute.
1: The ministry of reconciliation is about bridging gaps. That's what we are being taught to do now so we can be ministers of reconciliation later. Let's get back now to Jesus' perspective his own personal perspective on secular matters. Let's go to John 19, again, talking to Pilate, verses 10 through 12. So Pilate said to him,
2: You do not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king
1: opposes Caesar. So Jesus' response was wonderful. He wouldn't answer Pilate, and Pilate's you know, taking him to task. And, and Jesus reminds him, look, you don't have authority over me, except God allowed you to. So I'm okay with that. And there's, there's a great power In the humility that Jesus expresses here, he accepted the sinful acts of others that led to his death as God's providence. Humanity needed saving, and their governments needed replacing. A godly conscience sees events through God's eyes. That's another testing point for us. Am I seeing the political events, my political opinions, are they coming through God's eyes through Christ, or is it just me. Again, let's go back to Daniel, this time chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. This is Daniel realizing God has given him an answer to the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he's just thanking God. Listen to what he says about God's power.
2: Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who has changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And uh, in the Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary, it defines the word epic as an event or a time marked by an event that begins a new period or development. An example is the Gospel Age, which preceded the Jewish Age.
1: Okay, so you've got the sense that epochs and and God controls these things. God's got his hands over these things. Focus on the highest priorities, and that will direct our peacemaking efforts because it's in God's hands.
2: Well, Rick and Julie, ultimate peacemaking is not maintaining the governments of this world— our peacemaking responsibility is to maintain the righteousness of Christ so his government can reign forever and ever. Hallelujah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and and, and you, you're right about that. But the thing we have to remember is we need to be good citizens along the way. It doesn't mean that we are saying, oh, okay, so the governments have to fall. Let's go make them fall. No, no, no. That's not it. We have to stand for righteousness the way the apostles did and the followers of Jesus did and live even in an unjust world as high a level as we can. Let's go back to the Beatitudes. What's the sixth one, Julie?
3: Godly intentions behind all of one's actions.
1: Godly intentions. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, now this is beautiful. Pure in heart. Once we're humble... We have a heart and are gentle in spirit and have been feeding on and drinking in righteousness and have engaged in merciful actions. We now seek to never let these things go and desire purity in every thought and feeling. Now, look, purity in heart does not come automatically with our proclamation that Jesus is our Savior. Just because we say that or we feel that doesn't mean we become pure in heart automatically. We have to grow into that purity of heart. So to be pure in heart in relation to our becoming peacemakers and dealing with the political and social issues of our world, very simply stated in Romans 12, the second part of verse 17.
2: Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And Rick and Julie, one of the sad things in our world uh, today is that when someone on one side of an issue does something good, the other side almost never acknowledges it.
3: Great text to remember. That is Proverbs 327. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Love that
1: proverb. So, and and Jonathan, you're so right. We, We shy away from, oh, we don't want to give credit to that side because that's the side I don't want to be. Really? Are we that amateurish and that childish? Look, the world can be whatever they could be. Folks, I'm talking to you as Christians. We can't, cannot cannot stoop to those levels. We have to rise above this, because we are the only light that these people ever really get to see. Giving respect to the highest standards lets those around you know what you stand for. This is not easily easy, especially when opinions and preferences hide principles from all of us. Jonathan, our, our final Christian principles and worldly politics point for this segment. By God's grace, we are not
2: required to achieve purity in our actions— But we must rise to the heights of a
1: pure heart if we are to make peace. So even if we're not perfect in our actions, it's okay. The purity of our heart is how we are judged. You know, it's an incredible amount of work that's set out for us to do here, and we still haven't risen to the level of peacemakers. All of these things to work on,
2: and we know we can't change the world now. Is it all worth it?
0: Our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy to follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We now Never sell or give away your information and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy, so just send us a text and you'll be subscribed.
1: The most important thing for any Christian at any time in history is to walk in Jesus' sacrificial footsteps. It's so important to remember that Jesus did not convert the world 2,000 years ago. He did call out a few to follow him, those whose faithfulness would contribute to saving the world later. It's a matter of understanding the timeline of God's plan. And folks, we should be true examples of good citizens. Whatever that means to you, be it at its highest level in terms of your Christianity and in terms of your loyalty to God first. Let's go back to Romans 13, verses six. And uh, get to verses 6 and 7 now as Paul continues to instruct us about our social and political responsibilities. For because
2: of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes
1: due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So it's interesting. He says, render to all what is due. So when you take that phrase, render to all, and you build it upon the previous thought from the last segment of, from these verses, for conscience sake, it, it's saying to be complete in your good citizenship. Folks, that is such an important thing. Now, I realize that many of us are going to interpret that one way, and others of us are going to interpret it another way. Fine, just make sure that you're interpreting it in relation to the highest Christian principles. This exhibits a trustworthy character, And that is a witness to the gospel. And that's really what this is about. And Julie, I know I keep asking you about it, but one more reminder about peacemaking.
3: (laughs) Okay, remember, a peacemaker wants and works for peace and a peacekeeper wants and works for quiet.
1: It's such an important distinction. It sounds so simple, almost trite, but it's not. Peacemakers are willing to go beneath the surface to find a way to actually alleviate the problems. We need to be working in a reconciling manner in our lives right now. So what about our Christianity, Jonathan? Well,
2: to be a Christian is to know who is worthy of our cooperation and who is worthy of our
1: loyalty. The world that we live in is worthy of our cooperation, but God in heaven is worthy of our loyalty. Let us not confuse the two, and let us live our conscience so that we are are fully— taking care of those things in the proper order with the proper uh, focus on the highest, highest thing. So, Julie, we're going to go back to uh, America's Great Divide with Frank uh, Luntz.
3: Frank Luntz ran focus groups uh, during and after various U.S. presidential debates to find out public opinion. He had to listen to these strong emotions on both sides and became discouraged. And here's where we're going to drop in on this interview.
4: I don't know if this is recoverable. And remember, the people you have sitting in this chair have much more important jobs than I do, uh, have been in places I've never been, but what they haven't heard are the voices of so many thousands of Americans who've told me just how unforgiving they are, how bitter they are towards the other side. Everybody wants to speak. Nobody wants to listen. Everyone wants to be heard. Nobody wants to learn.
1: Boy, that hurts. That hurts. And and, and look, folks, again, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I don't apologize for it at this point. Let us not be described in that way. Let us not be the ones who want to speak but won't listen. Let us not be the ones who are so hurt and bitter we can't give Give time of, the time of day to somebody on the other side. Because what does that t- t- say about us? Is that Christ-like? No, it's not. We must rise above. Julie, we're finally getting to that seventh rung. What is this?
3: Oh, Finally, we get to be a peacemaker. <laughs> and look at all the important preparatory work it took to get to this point. We find this in Matthew 5, 9.
2: Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of
1: God. Do you realize that all of the things before this, the Beatitudes, were building toward this? Because Jesus now announces, blessed are the peacemakers, because you will be called sons of God. And that is the heavenly calling at this point in time. This is where Jesus is saying, this is where you want to get to. And he's essentially saying, follow me, live the way I live, and you too can become a peacemaker. With all the previous steps of development, we can now see clearly, we can now think righteously, and act appropriately. This is an uncommon place to be, that of a peacemaker. The world has forgotten about that. Being at this level enables us to contribute to our society in a wholesome, Christian-based way. Be the light in the context of all the mess of the political wrangling, and however, whatever election is you're looking at, However it works out, however it turns out, be the light that has graciousness and understanding and God's will and providence first in your mind. When we look at peacemaking in relation to our becoming peacemakers in this world, especially with this particular subject, here's the thing we got to think about. Look, we can't change the world now, but we can't elevate our own environment by peacemaking by dealing with the hard things, by being willing to ask the hard questions, go into the hard issues with those who may see things differently. That's what Jesus did. He was never afraid of any hard issue.
2: And we can make other lives better,
1: fuller, and calmer. Calm. That's Jonathan reminds me of the Selah moment you talked about earlier. We need to bring calm to the storms of political wrangling. Now look, we're not saying be involved in politics. What we're saying is be a light that is around people because you're around them. Be the light that's that, that can illuminate them being able to handle all of these difficult things. Let's go to Romans twelve eighteen.
2: If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with
1: all men. So far as it depends on you. Now, look, we're not able to bring peace to all. But we can be examples of it, and we, for our part, can be at peace with all men. They may not want to be at peace with us. We can't control that. But folks, how are you handling the part that you can control? Is it in a Christ-like manner? Christian principles and worldly politics, what do we have?
2: Our calling is no, no simple or easy matter. We will be entrusted with reconciling the world to God in the future, and therefore must heartily apply all peacemaking principles here and now.
1: Do not stop short of becoming peacemakers in your world. Jesus' own perspective on secular matters one last time. The context here for these verses is the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, are, are, are sent to entrap Jesus in his own words. Now look, at any time, in any place, that's a, that's a foolish thing to try to do. You, you just can't do that. You can't entrap Jesus. And here's what happens. Mark 12, 14 through 17. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful
2: and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing the hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one and said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him.
1: Okay, Jesus simply did not have the time or the need to engage in petty secular complaints, and he put them to rest very simply and easily right there.
3: So let's look at the title of this podcast. Are we supporting the right world leaders? And that, Christian, that question applies to Christians around the whole world. And that question that gets asked all over the Internet with every major world election, who would Jesus vote for? Who are we supposed to vote for? Are we supporting the right world leaders and who? what would Jesus do?
1: Okay, first of all, who are we supposed to vote for? You really think you're going to get a direct answer from me on that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Here, here, and again, this is going to be a, a Rick opinion based on the Scripture study and so forth. Jesus was bound. He's a Jew. He was bound by the Jewish law. He would have been steeped in Jewish tradition and thought and process for the bringing forth of leaders. Now, in the Jewish law, it was shown that God-appointed the leadership. Now, when they had kings, they messed that all up. Not talking about that, talking about before that. And I think that Jesus would have stood beyond all of those things. Now, this is my opinion on the matter. I think he would have stood outside of that, and Jesus would not have participated himself because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. He knows that his kingdom is replacing all of this, and for him to choose this or that in looking at Satan's world is, is it would have been, I think, contradictory to his stance. He said before Satan actually fell, I've seen Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He said, so he's seeing the kingdoms of this world crumble, and that's what he was about. So no, I don't think he would have been involved. That's a Rick opinion. Do with that what you will. Let's look at Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10.
2: Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household
1: of faith. Okay, let's do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, for some of us as Christians, we would say part of that doing good is expressing our perspective in matters of voting and, and, and these kinds of things. Amen to that. For others who are Christians, we'll say, you know, part of our doing good is actually staying completely out of all of those things because that's part of our doing good. Amen to that. Whatever your highest Christian conscience is directing you to do from a basis of spirituality and scriptural reasoning follow that be careful with that no matter which way you do it let me assure you that if you are truly following after Christ the rest of the beatitudes are going to apply to you okay we've uh, we've gotten to the point of peace being peacemakers. The rest of the Beatitude teachings are results of what happens when you're a true peacemaker. Jonathan, Matthew 5, verse 10.
2: Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Julie, this is the eighth rung. What is it?
3: Well, now we move into really the underbelly of peacemaking. The eighth rung of successful peacemaking is suffering harshness because you actually stood for and pointed to something higher than most would ever consider. That's how Jesus lived.
1: It is. The, the, the ability to stand for and point to something higher brings persecution, being pursued because you are not filling in, filing, uh, falling in line with everybody else. As Christians, folks, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to stand above the fray. Now let's go to verse 11.
2: Blessed are you when people insult you and
1: persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So now we have persecuted for righteousness' sake as that eighth rung, Julie. What's the ninth rung?
3: It's being persecuted with evil intentions. This is what brought Jesus to his death, but he joyfully accepted that fate for the sake of bringing peace to the world.
1: So... Not only, Jesus is saying, once you get to that peacemaker status, persecution will follow. And then, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. That's what God Jesus killed, was the false accusations of evil. But he's saying you're blessed when you're in that circumstance. Where do we get to after all of that? Well, we get to Matthew 5, verse 12. And to me, Here's the epitome. You've you've worked through, you've become a a peacemaker in this really hard, hard world, and verse 12 sums it up.
2: Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
1: And Julie, what's that 10th rung telling us?
3: The 10th rung of successful peacemaking for true Christians is the ultimate reward, being with Jesus.
1: Okay, your reward in heaven is great. That means faithfulness has its advantage of being blessed by God to be with Christ. That is a powerful thing. So folks, as we look at the political world that we are, 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 are dealing with, and, and right now you know, we're in the middle of a very, very volatile election environment In the United States, there are all kinds of volatile election environments all over the world. doesn't matter your country. It doesn't matter um, what what the traditions of the country are. How do you stand as a Christian in light of all of these things so you can be a light? So, Jonathan, what's our final Christian principles uh, in relation to worldly politics point?
2: Our efforts at peacemaking in a sinful world of unrest and divisiveness will often provoke persecution. This is not bad as long as we are living and exampling the peace of Christ.
1: We have to be the example. And again, folks, I want to reiterate to you, we're not trying to encourage you uh, in relation to politics. What we are encouraging you in relation to is the ability to live your life in a christ like fashion. The truth of the matter is, we are left to decide many things about how we live our Christian lives. What you do is your business. However, you make sure that your business is the Father's business. Remember Jesus at age 12, what are you doing here? did not you know I must be about my Father's business? Don't you know that it's about God's will for me? Put yourself in the position of seeing everything with the political wrangling and strife and even violence as being a light from God through Jesus so the world can see something that brings calm and peace to them because you are a reconciler as a representative of Jesus. And remember, where your primary allegiance always lies, to God in heaven to him be the glory. Amen. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcast, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about... Has the Bible Been Mistranslated and Misunderstood? Part 1. Now that, my friends, is a big subject. Talk to you next week.